It's not every day you receive an in-person visit from one of God's prophets. I'm sad to have missed that. However, I think I might have some insights to share, too, about today's prophet, Zechariah. Zechariah is a book of connections. For example, we are connected with promises and reminders of God's mercy. We connect with God's people, each other, and our need to worship across the ages. We see characters from throughout the Hebrew Bible and even the New Testament across centuries and scriptures finding a common connection with prophet Zechariah. And we see how an exiled people begin to reconnect to their homeland. I love the words that Greg used just a few moments ago. The apple of my eye. Those words are found in the prophet Zechariah. Anyone who touches you touches the apple of my eye. And of course, God is speaking to those exiles who are returning, saying that I still love you, I care for you, I have great plans and promises for you. Well, having said that, I should share with you what this sermon is not about. It's not about the priest who was husband to Elizabeth, father to John the Baptist, who became mute for many months after a temple encounter with the angel Gabriel. You remember that person, right? It's not about a wee little man who climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. That's another Z character in the scriptures. And it's not about the more than 30 other individuals named Zechariah in the Bible. Today's message is about a priest who served in the Lord's temple during a time of national rebuilding and restoration who was completely sold out for the things of God. Zechariah was so consumed with the things of God that he had eight visions, followed by four oracles, which he shares with us in 14 chapters. He even dreams in color. How many of us can say that? He sees red and white and chestnut-colored horses, or sorrel is the word that's used if you're reading the NRSV. When was the last time that you were so caught up with the things of God that you had a dream or a vision? Do you remember those days? Do you remember the images? Prophet Joel prophesies about having dreams and visions in Joel 2.28, a promise picked up by Peter and Jesus' followers in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, verse 17 on the day of Pentecost. At first glance, Zechariah's visions or dreams can appear random and disconnected. However, upon further reflection and study, we begin to see a progressive vision that stretches far beyond the prophet's own lifetime into messianic fulfillment expressed through apocalyptic and eschatological language about the reconciliation of all things. I would like to share with you from one of these visions in Zechariah chapter 4, his fifth vision of the lampstand and the olive trees. The angel who talked with me came again and wakened me as one is wakened from sleep. He said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it. There are seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And by it receive, and by it there are two olive trees, one on the right of the bowl, and the other on its left. I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my lord. He said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I just want to sit on that phrase for just a moment. 
What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring out the top stone amid shouts of grace. Grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the whole earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And the second time I said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees, which pour out the oil through the two golden pipes? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. What a fascinating vision filled with rich language. Like us, Zechariah must ask several questions as he grows in faith and understanding. What are the small things spoken of in verse 10? We even hear in verse 14 of two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Well, this book, as we're hearing in chapter 4, is a reminder that God is in control. What true success is not about, strength or power, and what it is about, God's Spirit leading us. Redemption from exile would not be accomplished by a military uprising or perfectly strategic movement or the might of forces marshaled together, but by God's favor and divine grace shown through earthly powers, as we see, in a spirit of humility and a show of goodwill. Compared to the restoration of all peoples, the restoration of the physical temple was indeed a small thing in verse 10. Zechariah's dreams take his vision from earthly temporal things into the realm of the eternal, dealing with spiritual restoration, foreshadowing God's divine purpose and plan of salvation for people of all times. Thus is the depth of his vision. He has singular vision for God's redemption, both in his own context and in ours. Whereas Haggai was focused on rebuilding the temple and the future glory of the physical structure in Haggai 2.9, Zechariah's vision takes us up out of earth into the heavenly courts. The troubles of Zerubbabel. One of Zechariah's contemporaries mentioned in this passage, a significant person who stands out on the biblical landscape, is a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Try saying that ten times fast governor of the returned exiles, and he's mentioned many times throughout the Hebrew Bible. You could read about him in Ezra or Nehemiah, Kings or Chronicles, Haggai or Zechariah. Zerubbabel is important not only because he was a key leader of God's people in a time of recovering from a national tragedy, he's also an ancestor in the line of Jesus. We can read about him in the genealogy of our Lord in Matthew chapter 1 or Luke chapter 3. Zerubbabel is a key reminder that we should align ourselves with proven leaders who have courage to face difficult situations with the spirit of godliness. He received the counsel of great people like two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, priests Zechariah and Ezra, and governor Nehemiah. You may wonder whom the prophet means in the first chapter when he speaks of the former prophets. Zechariah 1.4 reads, Do not be like your ancestors, to whom the former prophets proclaimed, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or heed me, says the Lord. 
Both of these sayings can be traced back to prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 18, verse 11, and Jeremiah 25, verse 5. So for Zechariah, both Jeremiah and Isaiah before him would have been the former prophets who prophesied of the captivity in Babylon. As you may have heard, in addition to being a prophet, Zechariah is identified as being a priest. A reminder that we can serve God in the family business, no matter our vocation, and how sometimes that vocation can be stretched beyond our own expectations in order to meet the needs of people and circumstances of our day. Another important name in Zechariah is Joshua, the high priest. In Hebrew, the name is Yeshua, and that's the same Hebrew name from which we get the name Jesus. The high priest himself is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, our high priest, as Hebrews chapter 2 tells us. Zechariah had big shoes to fill, concerned with both personal and social, physical and spiritual renewal and restoration. He stands in the line of prophets proclaiming both justice and restoration, healing and renewal. Check out Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 16 and 12, 26 as well as chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, to learn more about the connections between Haggai, Zechariah, Ezra, and Nehemiah. The setting of the book, along with Haggai, which comes before, and Malachi, which follows, is in a time when the Jewish exiles are beginning to return home in order to fulfill their hopes of restoration. We notice how God moved the hearts of foreign kings like Darius the Mede and Cyrus II to send people back to the Levant, the Holy Land. I love how the book calls Israel the Holy Land. Sometimes we wonder, where did that phrase come from? Well, it's in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 12, the Holy Land. And it also speaks of the Holy Mountain of the Lord in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 3. The reputation of Jerusalem as being a center of worship for God's people and for the nations of the world as both a reality of the past and a hopeful invitation for the future. God's promised deliverance Covenant relationship, powerful protection, restored kingdom and temple, and even salvation through messianic deliverance. All of these are on the line and a part of Zechariah's message. The temple would not be maintained or rebuilt by human will, but by God's grace. Zechariah bears the promise fulfilled in the vision of another author, St. John the Divine, in Revelation. Jerusalem shall be inhabited, and I will be its wall and the glory within it. And Zechariah speaks of this as a wall of fire, giving perpetual light. Among scholars, there is some confusion about the authorship of Zechariah. Some say that it is the same author, writing throughout a prophet's lifetime from early in life to late. Others say that it must be the disciples of that author who continued the work long after that earthly life had expired. What is clear for us is that the work of this book spans many decades, and it is a story set up to be continued in the New Testament. Just as Malachi leaves us on a literary cliffhanger waiting for the return of prophet Elijah so that Mark's gospel, the first of the gospels to be written, picks up with the wilderness ministry of John the Baptist hundreds of years later. Can you imagine living with a question for several hundred years? What happened during that time and in those days anyway? Someone asked me this past week, what happened during the lost years of Jesus as he was growing up between being a boy at 12 in the temple and 30, and he goes out into the wilderness? We have a similar question, what happened between the end of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament? Well, this is where the intertestamental or apocryphal books were written. 
a bridge of history filling the space between Malachi and Mark. A dozen or so books fill in the blanks of how God's people contended with the waiting, continued to tell stories of God's faithfulness to remind themselves of God's presence, and recorded their lived experience to show how God was making a way where there seemed to be no clear path to the future. Between Zechariah and Mark are nearly half a millennia, 500 years, but only two years elapsed between the beginning of Haggai and the beginning of Zechariah. You can reference Haggai 1.1 and Zechariah 1.1. Zechariah reminds us of the importance of the roles of priest, prophet, and king. As priest, Zechariah served in a family priestly line. From a young age, he knew the awesome power and responsibility that came with serving God as a holy priest, as a part of the priesthood. And we can imagine how large were his hopes for one day returning to serve in God's rebuilt temple. Prophet. Zechariah, along with several other individuals whose ministries we've been following, was called by God in a special way to proclaim the truth of God's kingdom. In the face of difficulty and occupation, he dared to proclaim and bear witness to what God could still do. And king. Geopolitical alliances are at the heart of the resolution to send people like Zerubbabel and Zechariah back to the Holy Land. His visions remind us that the power of kings comes not simply from exercising their own authority or will, but by faithfully obeying in the Lord. In chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we hear these words, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the alien, or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Convicting words, aren't they? Who knows what's in a person's heart but the eyes of the Lord that range throughout the whole earth and see beyond the appearance of things. Jesus as priest, prophet, and king. Zechariah points ahead beyond himself toward the Messiah. In the New Testament, Jesus and his followers came preaching and proclaiming the same truths about the nature of true religion. You can read James and find all about the importance of true religion. It wasn't about being called anything. It was about doing what God calls us to do, about having a pure heart and storing God's words there. The book of Zechariah, which speaks of priests, prophet, and kings, reminds us of Jesus, who for us is all of these things. Jesus is our high priest, and we believe in the priesthood of all believers through Christ. Jesus came prophetically declaring the need for repentance and living a message of God's love. And the king of kings humbled himself in order to faithfully obey God's teachings and bring about lasting renewal and restoration. Today, provision still happens, not by the usual suspects of earthly might or political persuasion, but by God's spirit. A wonderful example was in the recent Winter Olympics. CBS News featured this headline, Team USA's Erin Jackson becomes first black woman to win Olympic speed skating gold after teammate gave up her spot. Did you follow this story? Were you aware of it? It truly is an amazing story. Jackson was the fastest speed skater in the world at the 500-meter race. However, during the Olympic trials, she slipped, causing her to finish third, narrowly missing a qualifying finish. Enter teammate Brittany Bowe. Bowe finished first in the same race to qualify that Jackson had slipped during. However, knowing that she would be competing in other races, Bowe gave up her spot in the 500-meter. 29-year-old Jackson called Brittany Bowe an amazing mentor, teammate, and friend. 
Speaking of Bo, Jackson said, this is an act I will never forget. You can bet I'll be the loudest one cheering for her in the 1,000 and 1,500 meter races. In a rare turn of fate, where grace showed through, Bo ended up getting back a spot in the 500 after the United States was given an additional place for racing. She finished 16th in that race. Jackson received the gold medal and the first place finish. She wouldn't have been there without the gracious love of someone near her, seeing the potential and saying, I see you, I'm for you, I've got your back. Jackson made good on Bo's sacrifice, and Bo received back what she was willing to give away, that is a chance to compete. And the lesson in this is one of humility. All of Aaron Jackson's strength, speed, and training could have come to nothing without the humble gesture of self-sacrifice by a loving teammate. We can choose to live in this way too, can't we? Considering others better than ourselves, Philippians 2, 3. Knowing that it is in giving that we truly receive. Reminder by St. Francis. World leaders look to themselves and their alliances for answers and solutions to the world's problems. God says, not by might nor by power, but by God's spirit. Pollsters look to the power of persuasion to enlist the masses and the media to enact change. God says, not by might or earthly wisdom, but by God's Spirit. And in our times of need, when we don't have enough to take care of daily necessities, we look to government for support, for charity. And it's not by might or power that help comes, but by hearts humbly submitted, trusting in God's generous, life-giving Spirit. Zechariah echoes the words of the psalmist in Psalm 27, 14. Be strong, take heart, wait upon the Lord. It's amazing to see in the scripture and in the world how God longs to gather us together and how faithful prophets like Zechariah step up to proclaim God's redemptive vision. Let us pray. Loving God, grant us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are up to in the world today. Give us courage to alleviate the suffering experienced in the world and multiply the gifts that we have given that they might continue your work in the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name through whom we give thanks and by whom we live. Amen.